Stay in your seat. Welcome back, you illustrious, wage-thefting screedlers. If you are listening at work right now and your tyrannical little butt baby boss happens to walk by your desk, flip them the bird. Then tell them, hey, you actual criminal. When you look out your window one night and see a field of your employees brandishing torches and pitchforks, I'll be the one wearing a tuxedo. And I'll be wearing it ironically. Today's episode of Humor and the Abject is brought to you by Ross Perot's 1992 presidential campaign. He boldly ran for president against two of the toughest opponents in our whole goddamn history, Hillary Clinton's brother Bill, and George W. Bush's mom. George H.W. Bush. Your faithful host of this podcast, Sean J. Patrick Carney, was only 10 years old at the time. But he still voted in the election for Mr. Perot out of a sense of duty to stand up and say, quite presciently I might add, no, more, neoliberalism, no, more, dynasties. How did this little boy from Michigan know what the 2000s would bring us? That is for him to know and for you to find out. When Sean's mom and dad discovered that he had illegally voted, they said, well then, what can you really do there? Eh? This is Michigan. Who gives a fuck? Go Tigers. Dig up Henry Ford's grave. Burn his remains on a live stream. He is an idol to everyone who is a boss. Which means he is literally a demogorgon. Nail tiny boxes of his ashes to everyone who controls payroll with a note that says. You're next, you motherfucking coward. Thanks for listening. Let's do the show. I'm Ira Glass. Welcome to Jackass. It's episode four of Humor in the Abject, and in an effort to save some time in my life and cut a few corners, you know, time is money, uh, I'm recording this introduction in the shower here before I head out for the evening. Uh, Now that we're at episode four, I want you to think of each one leading up to this and today's as uh, one leaf of a clover. Uh, Today's pushes us into total leprechaun mode. Uh, And I originally thought that that meant it was going to be one of the luckiest episodes yet. Unfortunately, when I got to the studio the other night to record, uh, my laptop completely crashed. And God bless Taylor Moore at Kickstarter. He came through, got me a replacement laptop. And God bless my guests for putting up with my uh, complete mania during that process. Uh, Before introducing that guest, though, I do want to say thanks to last week's guest, Anna Fabrega. Uh, It was honestly such a privilege getting to spend an hour uh, just talking with her. Because Anna's one of the people that really blurs the distinctions between stand-up comedy and performance art. And I hope that anybody who wasn't familiar with her previously makes sure to keep up with what she's doing. You can follow her on Twitter at 
Anna Fabrega Good, and her Instagram is Anna underscore Fabrega. Uh, all of her upcoming shows are posted at her Tumblr, annaluciafabrega.tumblr.com, including July 5th at Tender Trap, July 7th at Legion Bar, July 9th at Union Pool, July 21st at Joe's Pub, and many, many more. Uh, and to my friends in Philly, she'll be at Good Good Comedy on August 5th. Uh, in the news this week, in, you know, in an egregiously long interview published to The Thrillist on Monday the 26th, celebrity chef and television personality Guy Fieri dropped a bomb on the entire culinary industry when he admitted that his famed donkey sauce is actually just aioli. I don't know that I'll recover. Also making waves, Artnet News reported that the art world's own Guy Fieri, Jeff Koons, has once again laid off a large number of his painting staff, shocking blog writers as he admitted that his gazing ball paintings are actually just aioli. Did you see what I did there? Uh, but, sorry. In all seriousness, though, let, let's send some positive vibes to the art workers that he's just fucked over completely, and I hope that they steal as much shit on their way out as possible. Uh, so enough joshing around here. Today's guest is one of my favorite artists, uh, one of my favorite performers here in New York City. I'm probably going to be saying that every week, but why the fuck would I have somebody on who wasn't one of my favorites? I'm talking about Aaron Markey. About a year and a half ago, uh, my pal and editor Art in America, Brian Troycor, invited me to one of Markey's performances at the Abrams Art Center. That was called A Ride on the Irish Cream. I spent the whole time laughing like a complete idiot, and I got the opportunity afterwards to do a first look feature on her for the magazine. I will post a link on the blog to that. Uh, Erin, like me, is from Michigan, and her upbringing there has had a pretty big influence on the work as she often incorporates childhood and adolescent experiences in the Midwest directly into her performances. Uh, she's pals with and has performed with tons of the comedians that I love, and she's revered in the contemporary art and theater communities. I will also post a YouTube mix that I put together for Art in America of some of Markey's most elegantly wild characters and sketches. So buckle up, pour yourself a nice tall Blake Lively. That's a drink invented by Josh Lawson that's equal parts bullet bourbon and Mountain Dew. And enjoy this ride. Here's my conversation with Aaron Markey, and let's lead in with a little sample of her terrifying cover of Bruno Mars' uh, hit single, Grenade, from our hit parade at Joe's Pub. Thank you. Thank you for joining me. Um, big fan of your work. Been following it for a little while. Had the chance to write about it. Thank you for letting me do an interview. Uh, oh, thank thank for you for print earlier. 
for highlighting me. <laughs> um, the one thing I was out of town over winter that I missed was at Under the Radar. Uh, and you did Boner Killer. Boner Killer. Um, so, you know, I'll put some links and things like that on the website when this goes up so people can Please check do. out your work. But um, what's Boner Killer? Because I didn't see it. Um, Boner Killer is an intimate musical conversation mm -hmm. uh, between me and the audience and um, another friend, Emily Bate, who's playing guitar and bass in the show. Uh, I don't know. It's kind of about, it's hard to say what it's about. I can tell you what I think, why I think I made it. Yeah. Um, I had a song that I wrote in 2008 called Secret Puddles. Mm -hmm. It was like, um, Bridget Everett, who is a comedian and cabaret person. Yeah. She uh, used to have a show at uh, the Ritz, and I'm not talking about the hotel. I'm talking about the gay bar in Hell's Kitchen um, called Sideshow at the Ritz, and it was like a weekly show. And uh, you had to, like, doing that show so many times, I learned that nobody would pay attention to me if I ever talked. Like, I either had to be singing a song or doing something really, like, spectacle-driven. Mm -hmm. So the the night before I had to do that show and I didn't have anything planned, and this is, like, I had done it several times at this point, um, I had a dream that I had a baby with no legs named Puddles. <laughs> <laughs> and... um and then I like woke up that morning and I wrote a song about a little doll named uh, Secret Puddles. I also was like incredibly broke at that moment. And I was like, how can I make a performance that where I can make money during the performance? Mm -hmm. um, because I, I worked at a strip club for a little while. And, you know, obviously you're performing at a strip club, but you're making money yeah. the whole time. So I was like, this is crazy that I wouldn't get to also make that kind of money mm -hmm. while I'm doing performance art. It's like virtually the same thing, except for not. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but so I made uh, this little doll that had a big hole in the crotch and wrote a song like basically trying to – slowly trick an audience into putting money into the crotch of the baby. Mm -hmm. um, Did you take the baby's legs off? No, that's the, you know, that's just a memory of the dream. Mm. But I did, the the baby's name is Secret Puddles. Mm -hmm. So I kept the the first name as the middle name in this song. But I hadn't, I had only done it in like nightlife uh, for, for a few years years it was just my like go-to like three minute you know act but I missed it and I wanted to kind of build a show around the context of having made that song um at the time I was like living with somebody who um I was dating but who was also had been a sex work client of mm -hmm. mine um, that just turned into sort of like a pretty woman kind of experience uh -huh. by accident. 
And so that's kind of what the show is about. And okay. it's also about like, like how, uh, how my queer sexuality was sort of like honored in that context and squashed in that context and in, and in like a larger context mm -hmm. of like our world. And then, you know, thinking about mortality too in that way. Yeah. So. And Emily, you said Emily was in that, did some of the music with it too. Yeah. And she, you collaborate with Emily pretty regularly. Yeah, yeah. Emily Bate um, is a musician who's based in Philadelphia who who I met in college, kind of. We actually met um, <laughs> at like an LGBT youth group waiting for Melissa Etheridge to show up at the youth group. We weren't supposed to know that it was Melissa Etheridge that like was coming. Like a keynote speaker or as a performer? No, there was just like 20 kids waiting for a surprise guest. And somebody leaked it? Um, we found out when she didn't show up <laughs> that it was supposed to be Melissa they, Etheridge. They could have picked somebody that you know was lesser known so that you wouldn't feel yeah. sad or anything yeah. like that. I mean, were you sad? Were you a Melissa Etheridge fan? I didn't care. I just was like living my best life with all those kids, yeah. you know? Wait, how old were you? I was like 18, too old to be there. Okay. The friends that I had just met, because I had just moved back to Michigan, transferring colleges. So I was like 19. Okay. Um, they had all been at this youth group for all of their teens. And so they were like, it was like old hat to them. And I was their new friend and I was just coming with them. Okay. And when you say youth group, it's like a youth support group for LGBTQ yeah, teens. Yeah, yeah. It's not, not like a church. Okay. Not youth group like yeah. I <clears throat> know about. Right, right. Okay. We, I also know about that kind of youth group uh -huh. deep in my soul. I, but. You told me one time, this is a while ago, that you had a very, uh, you'd fantasized about going full Christian and joining a youth group. Well, I mean, I don't have to fantasize because I definitely did it. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was, but okay, so you're raised Catholic, but you... When were, I moved to the South, when were, I moved to oh. South Carolina and Georgia. And it was very alluring because of the, what? It was just really embodied, like com compared to Catholicism, which is just so much about um, like ritual and repetition and yes. incense. Yeah, which I love too. Yeah, I was an altar boy. Yeah. Well, you're lucky. Some Made of us it, didn't yeah. get to be altar boys. <laughs> <laughs> I was lucky twice. I was an altar boy and was still lucky. So <laughs> thank that. Um, well, you didn't get to wear a wedding dress on your first communion, I bet. No. No, I had a, uh, I had a little tie, a little clip-on tie. Right. Uh, barber, first time. Not first time with the barber. I had a the really same, no. I had the same barber for my entire life growing up until I was in high school. Sandy, um, she was the only woman who was a barber at uh, Robertson's. I think it was called in downtown Traverse City. Went to her every single time. She wasn't there one time, and instead of my dad taking me, my mom took me. And there was a replacement barber, like a sub, this older guy, and told him to give me the spike. You know, my usual kind of Bart Simpson haircut, and he buzzed my head. <laughs> No. And I was mortified. So my first communion, all of the photos, I'm scowling and I have a buzzed head. And you're like, where's Sandy? Yeah, I was very, very upset. Um, <laughs> but I'm actually, I'm curious about the youth group thing and being drawn to that coming out of, uh, I guess, a Catholic background. Because a lot of people where I grew up, 
were very drawn to that too because Catholic Church sucked. It was very boring, and yeah. it was the same thing every week. And uh, the Christian churches had skateboard ramps, right? And they had and bands, like acoustic and guitars pizza. that yeah. plugged in. And they did overnight like agape trips and things like that, where you could go and get saved. And they yes. would drive a a bus down state to go see a bunch of Christian like ska bands play. Yep. Yep. And that was that was very exciting. <laughs> and uh, water park trips and stuff Jesus. like that. Yeah, they didn't really do that at the Catholic Church. Oh, my God. That's why, like, I moved to Georgia, and there was a huge megachurch right near my house. And the first two people to try to befriend me um, were – they went to that church. And so I just immediately started going to youth group with them. And yeah. then, Did they want to evangelize you? Pretty. It's so it's such a casual thing in the South. It's not like the way Northerners like think about it as this sort of like target on your back mm -hmm. thing. It's just like it's the way that you communicate about religion is that you're always a little bit trying to save somebody and always a little bit trying to let somebody know that if they give somebody a blowjob, they are going to hell. <sighs> Is that okay? I don't really remember. Do does the Christian church allow you to just, um, you know, sort of confess on your deathbed and everything? You're fine. Uh, I mean, that's sort of appealing about Catholicism is that you can just kind of do yeah, it. that's not a thing. Hmm. Like, confession is not really a thing there. But I only, I mean, I only did this for like two years, so I cannot claim to be an expert in the field during a during your teens. Yeah, I would like sophomore, junior, some of senior year. Yeah, what uh, shook you out of it? Fucking theater and newspaper man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, my best friend uh, came out to me, and and at the time, the pronouns that he was using were she, and now they are he, but um. He came out as bisexual to me, and I was like, why didn't you tell me this before? Mm -hmm. And he said that it was because I was Christian, and he didn't think that I would understand. And I felt so, um, like, left out mm -hmm. <laughs> at that moment, and so, like, sad to be, like, not trusted in that way. And then he, uh, a couple weeks later, told me that he was afraid that he was going to hell. And I, like, could not, it hadn't even occurred to me, you know what I mean? Because yeah. he was, like, the best person I knew. And then I we moved again, um, like, the day after I graduated high school. And I spent all summer before college, like, alone, just thinking about whether or not he was going to go to hell. And um, and then I came out. <laughs> <laughs> Did you go off to college um, still sort of not at peace with who you are and not coming out and things like that? Or Yeah, I mean, I came out a couple months after I was in school. But I had – I was going – ironically, I, like, was going to a Catholic Jesuit college even after I had, like, sort of converted to, like, Bible Belt – Christianity because uh -huh. they gave me money. They oh, gave yeah. me like a big scholarship to go there. Hmm. Um, Where was that? 
St. Louis. St. Louis. And then did you go to Ann Arbor? Mm -hmm. Then I switched. As soon as the person, the girl that I was in love with graduated, I just transferred right over to Michigan. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty cool. Did you, and you did, were you, what was your major at University of Michigan? Were you doing theater or were you majoring in something else and just dabbling in that? And did that fill that communal void that you were kind of looking for when you were younger? Well, I'll tell you what filled the communal void was being in a 22-person vegan co-op, uh, yeah. <laughs> being president of it. You were the president of co-op? I was. It was an accident. Democratically elected? It or? fit. Honestly, it was like a stand-up job. Uh-huh. You just had to like preside over the meetings and didn't have to do any of the other kind of shitty work that anybody else had to do. Really? Yeah. How how do you fit twenty? Was it? Oh, I guess they're twenty two really, people. They're in very a house. big houses in Ann Arbor. Yeah, it was like a frat house full of like anarchists. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and then did you go to? You went to San Francisco, following that. Uh, I just went there during the summers. You just went there during the summers. A couple of summers. Yeah. And what were you doing there? Um. That girl that I was like in love with in St. Louis, mm-hmm. I was just going to see her. Oh, I see. Yeah. But I worked at a Nordstrom Rack one summer there. Is that the, there's Nordstrom, there's... Nordstrom Rack is like the um, cheaper outlet version of Is Nordstrom's. there another one that's past that? Nordstrom's Junior? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, like isn't there one called like Last Chance or something like that? I like that. I, I would believe you. I thought there was a... It's a it uh, sounds a little tackier than <laughs> they would go, but... I well, support I them. I don't think it was called Nordstrom's Last Chance. I think it was just called that. And if you were in oh, the know, okay. you knew that it was all the runoff from Nordstrom Rack. Like, so like the Banana Republic Gap Old Navy connection. Mm-hmm. 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 Lots of pleated pants. Hey. Folks, does the idea of having to manually search for bad takes on Twitter, screenshot them, and then optimize them for Twitter's display so you can effectively roast somebody without the risk of mentioning their at, exhaust you? It exhausts me, too. Just imagine if every day, screenshots of bad takes were delivered right to your inbox, pre-measured and accurately cropped to ensure no PNG or JPEG waste. Well. Guess what, you don't have to use your imagination anymore. Blue Takerin is a subscription service that has created a sustainable partnership with far-left Twitter trolls who hate follow liberal media accounts and pundits. They do the hard work for you. Finding the worst takes on every topic under the sun. We bring you higher quality screenshots every day to ensure that you aren't wasting any time or energy. And our step-by-step instructions will identify exactly what is wrong with every take. We guarantee a holier-than-thou roast tweet that will garner your account multiple retweets and favorites. Head on over to bluetakerin.com today and sign up for your first delivery of bad takes. Get roasting.
Um, were you doing performances at all in San Francisco or part of any of what I was sure going was. on there? Yeah. yeah. What kind of performances were you doing? Well, the first summer, I was in a one-act play at a theater called Lunacy, L-U-N-A, like the moon, S-E-A, like the body it. of water. Yeah, no, I got it. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, and I was in a one-act play called Butch to Butch, number two, all one word. Butch to Butch. Yeah, you got oh, that one. But not a two at the, <laughs> it was not called Butch to Butch, number two. No, it was Butch, butch to, to butch. butch. Got it. This is like... um. 2002 or three, mm -hmm. I guess three, 2003. So it was like when you could first start using numbers in place of words and it felt like pretty big deal. Mm -hmm. I didn't write that much didn't too write much. It. I played a femme photographer who was getting cheated on. Okay. And then I ended up having to go to the hospital. Why? I got a urinary tract. It was the craziest day. I went to the Eagle, I think, which is like a crazy BDSM, like gay man bar mm -hmm. in San Francisco for a drag contest. I dressed up as a drag king named Hardy Darty. And Oh, I know Hardy Darty. You do? I've, I feel like I feel like <laughs> I've maybe heard or seen some Hardy Darty before of yours. Yeah, he's. I mean, I haven't done him in a while, but um, you might have just humored me with it and done Hardy Darty to tell me what it's about. Yeah, I think so because he's very uh -huh. Michigan. Yeah. <laughs> um, he's like, I can't remember. Ethan Allen. Is that a furniture store that, yeah. like, Michigan is? I think so, yeah. It's like the Raymore and Flanagan of uh, of Michigan. Yeah. He was, like, a furniture salesman. A hearty dart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he, uh, it doesn't matter. I'm getting way off track. But anyway. You had a UTI. I had a UTI while I was being hardy darty at this, like, kink bar. Mm-hmm. Dossie Eaton, the author of a book called The Ethical Slut, which I oh, yeah. was my college Bible, <clears throat> she was judging it. So I was very starstruck and I won. Okay. And Congratulations. Was, thank you. And I was drinking a beer, only making the UTI worse. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, did you know at this point that you had no, a UTI? Okay. Uh -uh. I mean, I, I'm sure I did. I had the, like the symptoms, but I was ignoring them, hoping that that would be a good treatment. You couldn't sort of exercise it on the stage. Mm -mm. I felt immediately better after winning. You know, yeah. that'll like sure. alleviate any symptoms. Yeah. And then I went to Luna C to be in Butch to Butch and then was puking during the intermission. And then um, was supposed to go see whatever happened to baby Jane mm -hmm. with the girl I was in love with it's for very, her birthday. It's a very aggressive night. It was the gayest day of my life, <laughs> I think. <laughs> and I told her I couldn't go, and she got really mad at me. But I couldn't go because I had to go to the hospital. Jesus. And then I puked my way into the hospital and fainted in the lobby and that's the quickest way to avoid the line at the ER. That's the trick? 
Yes. Just yammy right when you walk in. Yep. Fall down. Just go straight to trauma. <laughs> and then have all the lesbian doctors of San Francisco over your body when you wake up. That's that's kind of a nice way to come out of a slumber. Yeah. 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 That's really exciting. And then did you... Okay. So when you finished school at University of Michigan, did mm -hmm. you come to New York? Yes, I did. Okay. And not before working as a stripper. And that's to, what <laughs> to raise money we, to okay. come to New York. Yes. Where were you doing your stripper work? In Ypsilanti. Ipsy? Yeah, one of the ten coolest cities that's of where, Michigan. Yeah, that's where Domino's Pizza started. Yeah. Ypsilanti. It is. Yeah. Eastern Michigan University, Emu. And the owner of Domino's Pizza is um one of the biggest pro life donators really in the world grody yeah i'm not using the pizza tracker anymore don't do it i didn't know that i used to work there really yeah i worked there in high school well thanks a lot for robbing me of I'm my sorry. reproductive rights i'm very <laughs> sorry i didn't know i was actually it wasn't it was after um it was after my first summer uh or sorry the summer after my first year of college I worked night times uh, delivering Domino's pizza, and during the daytime, I drove a little yellow truck for the city streets department, and I cleaned up baby diapers and other detritus in parking lots and sort of mowed lawns here and there, but I didn't know that about Domino's. That's really disappointing. Did you have to put a light on top of your car? Um, sometimes I had to put a magnetic thing on the top, but they had the Traverse City Domino's had its own Domino's pickup truck. That was like had a vinyl wrap around it, so I usually opted to drive that. Around. What are you talking about? That's a that's a cool thing to be driving around. I wasn't going to put the miles on my car. You only got like no. fifteen cents a mile or something like that. Is that bad? I have no idea. It was a bad job. Yeah, I didn't make any money. Right. It was ridiculous. Right. But did I'm sure you had a lot of pornographic sex at Domino's? No, delivering the pizzas. Oh no. People, no, not in northern Michigan. I wish it were more exciting. It really, <laughs> it really wasn't very exciting. Although one time I did take a pizza out of the oven and um, because I didn't have to make the pizzas, but as a delivery driver, I did have to take them out and cut them and put them in the bag to take uh, on the road with me. And you had to cut the pizzas? Yeah. Huh. So if it was a house that you really didn't like because they don't tip, you would just cut it totally fucked up and Ooh. be really nasty. Um we didn't do anything gross, though. But yeah. I would, like, cut the pizza all asymmetrical. But right. one time I was taking one out on the big paddle. I don't know what it's called. But uh, they bake the pizzas in, I don't know, five or six minutes. It's an extremely hot oven. It comes down this conveyor belt, and I pulled it out. And I was turning the uh, wooden paddle to put it into the box, and it slipped off. And just by, I think, kind of reaction, I reached out with my hands to grab the pizza, and it fell cheese down on my arms. And just I got these horrible burns, and cheese was, like, stuck to my skin and the hair on my arms and things and i finished my shift scraped the cheese off and uh, i think i quit shortly thereafter but, oh my god yeah that I, is intense i would have made a bigger deal out of it if i knew the political kind of thing yeah i could have made it into a thing a that, lawsuit man yeah huh. you wouldn't have to be sitting in this padded room with me right now and so your work <laughs> <clears throat> your work in ypsilanti though it inspired a piece that you did that i think was well received. Oh yeah, puppy uh -huh. love. Yeah, I made uh, about like five days into that job. I was like, well, the way that you're gonna get into being here is 
filter every moment of being there through the lens of you will eventually make a piece about mm. this. So I did. And I called it Puppy Love, a stripper's T-A-I-L, tail, because originally it was like I just had this impulse to like talk about the strip club and then also talk about my dog, Dempsey. Like, and just kind of flip-flop back and forth between the stories. And and then I ended up cutting all of the dog stuff, but the title stayed. Yeah. Well, it was probably there in the subtext. I mean, God willing. <laughs> yeah. Where did you perform that? Um, At a, many different places. I did it at Dixon Place. It was many years ago. Um when they weren't in their new space yet. And uh, I did it at this place called the Green Room, which is now 45 Bleecker, or maybe it's called something else. I don't know. And uh, I took a part of it on tour, like all around this beautiful nation of ours, um, on a tour called the Sex Workers Art Show Tour. Mm-hmm. When was that? When? Uh, 2008 and then a little bit in 2009. And then, um, God, I can't remember if I did it again after that or not, but, uh, I made like an audio book of it. That's what I called it. I don't know why I wouldn't just call it an album, Mm -hmm. but, Uh, um, was it music that you wrote for it? Yeah, it was a musical, like... It was a very show busy kind of musical. Like it was sort of, the music's very razzmatazz. Mm-hmm. Were you writing it with other people or like were you writing it with Emily at this point or is no, this No, a- Emily was not involved. I, I, my, um, I co-wrote the music, uh, not the lyrics, but the music with this guy who I actually met on Craigslist, which is how I found most of my initial collaborators mm-hmm. in New York. It didn't occur to me to do it another way. Um, but he's great. His his name's Rich Campbell. He's like a a pianist and like songwriter. Um, what what section do you put that under? Is it like the same one that a musician would use to find band members and things like that? Or do you have to, know. or is there a subsection for uh, experimental musicals? I, I, um, God, I wish I could find all of these posts. You know, Joseph Keckler? I know who that is. I don't know Joseph personally. Joseph and I went to school together uh, at Michigan and we basically moved to new york together and we wrote a show together called looking for limbo about like um all the kind of characters that would exist in a catholic limbo mm-hmm. that and they were getting that you would run into yeah well because only certain people can get to limbo there's like abortive babies mm-hmm. there's um the it's, criminally insane yeah is the baby who hasn't been baptized and dies I think so. They're in limbo. Yeah. That's why you got to. Mostly babies. You got to supply. Um, yeah. It's in <laughs> babies and people who. Could exploit babies, honestly. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, like. Well, people... they're probably being watched pretty heavily in limbo. I would assume there's some oversight. You surveillance. Think? 
I think that it wasn't they're really kind explained. of not being watched because you're being watched by the devil in hell. You're being watched, you know, basically ble- constantly blessed by God in heaven. Mm-hmm. But like, huh. they're not telling you who's governing purgatory and limbo. Yeah, and what's the difference between those two? Exactly. Is purgatory suicide? I can't remember who goes to purgatory, but they eliminated limbo. Who? In the early aughts. The Catholic Church was like, this doesn't exist. It's gone. Oh, I wasn't there then. Yeah. That's kind of unfortunate. I think limbo sounds kind of cool. Yeah. And a lot of the, like, lore around limbo is that it was on the moon. (laughs) So, like, that's where we said it. And then we, like, made it so that during the show, limbo just, like, goes away. You know, like, when the... When the church decides and they're just all being sucked into nothingness. Pretty sad. It's really sad. Pretty sad show. <laughs> A lot of adults in diapers, though, obviously. Uh-huh. Yeah. What is it when you're writing? Because was it 2013 and 2014 that you did at Joe's Pub? You did the self-titled show, Aaron Markey. Is that correct? Am uh, I getting the well, dates right? let me say okay. that the show was never self-titled. That's just what the internet decided at some point, and I compromised. I had a new show title for every single one of those shows. Oh, that every I was night had a different so name. So proud of, yeah. Huh? Like, there's a new emergency contact in town, and like, um, I don't know, something about like still precious after all these years or something like that. Just stuff like that. That was mm. so fun and made me want to live another day. Yeah. Were you changing the performance every night? What was the performance? They weren't. It was like once every couple of months for like a few years. Mm-hmm. Um, and most of the time it was it was new stuff. There would be like a few things that I would like keep from month to month. But it was like because, because Joe's Pub um, – was the place that hosted this thing I was part of called um, Our Hit Parade mm-hmm. for so many years. The karaoke stuff? Our Hit Parade was not exactly karaoke. Covering uh, music? Yeah, it was music covers. Mm-hmm. It was like 10 artists, sort of like each cover one of the top 10 songs mm-hmm. of like that month. So I was like constantly making new work for that. It made me, like, made my body kind of think of Joe's Pub as this place where I'm just, like, constantly developing stuff. Yeah. And for some reason think of places like the Duplex and Dixon Place as places where I would have to have a lot of polish. Okay. Weirdly. Like, that's what my body thinks. Savage here. Thanks for thanks for tuning in. Just wanted to give you a little heads up about my personal Twitter account. Uh, you can follow me at Fokra, spelled F-O-C-R-A. Uh, never mind the origins of that. 
it doesn't come from anything important. Don't sweat it. Um, but if you enjoyed this podcast and uh, just the additional content that surrounds it, feel free to give me a follow. Um, I talk about a lot of stuff. Sometimes I'll talk about uh, what I am eating for lunch. Sort of a little behind-the-scenes look. Um, yeah. Um, at me. DM me. The DMs are open. That's not the preferred method of communication. Just at me. It's fine. Um, yeah. We'll, we'll uh, have a good time on, on Twitter.com. Once again, that handle is Fokra at F-O-C-R-A. Yeah, I look I look forward to uh, having varied amounts of conversation with you. Thank you. talking about a monthly where you do things differently every single time and it sounds a lot like stand up yeah it sounds a lot like comedy and i think that i've had you know i haven't done a ton of these but i've had a few different people on whom i've talked to about how that scene has changed a lot in new york over the last couple years Mm -hmm. um for the better and i think that most of the comedians that i know um who know your work are very very fond of you and i think would I think they like to count you as a comedian. And I'm curious if you felt like that scene or that kind of approach is a little bit more welcoming to now where you feel a little less like, oh, I want to distance myself from that. Yeah, now comedy is so much weirder now than it used to be. And it has so many like good, I mean, performers that I think you, you they would in the past be called like performance artists and yeah. not comedians. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's been a real pleasure to be uh, doing the exact same stuff that I've been doing for a long time <laughs> and then just have a new name attached or a new like category attached to it. Yeah. Do you go in differently if an audience is, uh, cause sometimes I'm sure going into a performance context, if it's an audience that isn't already familiar with you, you kind of, you win them over really quickly because they're, extremely relieved to be laughing and that you're very funny versus is a comedy audience a little more challenging because they're expecting to laugh or do you just kind of float through it just totally depends on my mood Mm. and my relationship to uh quote unquote like comedy because I don't know. Like if the audience seems like they're just like laughing at really like boring um like format of a joke. Like if if other people on the bill are like not floating my boat, then I get a little I feel much more licensed to be as weird as I want to be because I, I just like, that's just not my style. Yeah. It never will be. And I'm just like, well, just do whatever you want because they will be surprised by any level of anything <laughs> that you do. 
Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I'm more than like, I mean, I feel like I use the word performance artist for me because it's just a catch all for like the many different kinds of like audiences and venues that I've worked in, but that involves like comedy venues and cabaret venues and like theater venues and just like nightlife stuff, like gay bar yeah. shit. I mean, I just feel like every single one of those places has a totally different audience and like my interest is in doing a quick read of that audience and then just trying to stay as live with them as I possibly can Yeah, throughout that time. Well, it certainly seems difficult to be able to bounce between those and to read that quickly, but I guess you've been performing for a really long time. 5,000 years. <laughs> I imagine you can uh, read a room relatively quickly if somebody before you is performing and kind of gauge how you're going to behave or how you're going to interact with them. It's weird. It just takes like one or two people in the house to like laugh, to like feel permission to like laugh. Mm-hmm at certain things and then the rest you know of the people will like take their cues from them but you definitely need those very small handful of people to maybe be on your side you gotta win them over yeah you gotta find i mean i feel like that's the secret is that you try to have immediately try to have a really inside joke with like three people mm -hmm. in the house three strangers yeah yeah no so plans. that it feels really special mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, like, there's, like, a secret specialness that, like, maybe some other people want to get in on. Yeah. Yeah, there's a hive mind. What is it? Have you ever seen that video? It's a YouTube video of there's just a guy dancing. I don't know if it's at a music festival. And he just, you know, looks kind of crazy. And people are just sitting there staring at him. It's in a grass field. He's kind of moving around. And then a couple minutes later, this other guy kind of walks up and joins him. He starts dancing. And then immediately... You know, a flock of people come and it turns into a thing. But there's a good solid like 90 seconds or two minutes where this guy's just dancing like a fool completely alone and you feel really sad for him. And then by the end of it, you're like, this is this is wonderful. All is it, it takes is just a couple people to get weird and then everybody else is on board. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was actually when I was talking to Adrian Truscott earlier today, she was. Oh, man. I totally forgot what I was about to say, which sucks. Was it about people dancing in a field and other people coming to join them? I know it was related. <laughs> All right, we'll just skip it. This happened to her during the interview, too. Really? Yeah. That's okay. People forget things. That's a completely normal way of interacting with people. I know, but it's it's like I remembered that instead of the thing that she said. Huh. Because I'm a natural-born dick. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god um what do you have what's coming up soon what are you excited about that you're getting into do we have anything to look forward to soon yeah a lot of stuff like what well i'm in a production of assassins by stephen sondheim where i'm playing squeaky frome who tried to assassinate gerald ford <laughs> in 1975 okay she was like a manson family person really and they're not wigging me. They're keeping my hair. And it's very flattering. Nice. I mean, because it's a big theater. So to not wig me, 
I mean, I hope your audience knows how huge of a compliment that is. I don't even, yeah, I, that doesn't register with me, but I'm going to, I'm going to assume that it's good. You look very excited. I, uh, yeah, well, yeah, it's just going to mean more comfort for me on stage. When but is that happening? Mid-July. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of a big deal because that's all, it's a big deal for me just because it's all like kind of broadway -y people and I would say it doesn't happen every day that I'm like singing amongst those kinds of folks. Yeah. But uh are you holding your own? You got a you got some pipes. We don't start rehearsals until Friday. It's oh. so quick. Oh my god. Yeah. Okay. We'll have to ask in a couple weeks, but I think you're going to do fine. You can really sing. Thank you. <laughs> it's like you know, you hold on to this idea that you, like, are not a singer, but you know exactly how you would be a singer if you were a singer. Like, that's how I felt, like, in high school. Huh. But yeah. I've actually been working as a singer for a pretty long time. Everything I've ever seen you do, you've <laughs> sung in it. So, I know. yeah, I think it's it's probably fine to, you know, accept that you sing. I still don't identify. I never tell people I'm a singer. But, um, but yeah, that's happening. I'm like, I'm tricking everybody. <laughs> uh, is there anything that's um, your solo kind of stuff or original things that you're writing that people can see too? Mm -hmm. Boner mm -hmm. Killer is going on tour. Really? Yeah, we just went to Toronto and we're going to Portland and Pittsburgh and all over the UK in really? September and October. When are you going to Portland? um september 11th whoa yeah wow uh for what or what uh it's a festival called the tba festival uh, yeah i figured as much yeah. <laughs> no i know it it's great that's really cool so you're doing it with pika yeah yeah uh -huh. i have friends that work there that's fantastic that's where <clears throat> i think that uh, time-based arts festival was the first place that i went and saw stuff that uh, I know this is such a cliche thing, but that kind of showed that you could just be a weirdo and that it was okay yeah. to try all these different things. And that's the first place that I saw like Reggie Watts and uh -huh. all of these different, and like I met Ale Steiner and AK Burns and all these different people through that because I would volunteer for the festival. And it was huge. And it really changed the way that I think a lot of younger artists, uh, you know, probably established artists too, thought about things when that festival started happening. Because you'd yeah. see all this stuff that you just don't get in Portland all the time. Did you go to school in Portland? Yeah, I went to PNCA. Um, mm. And so the school, you know, it's a little town, and the school had a relationship with Pika, and I had Erin um, Boberg is at Pika. She does a lot of the, I think she's still there. She, oh, yeah. I've been emailing with her. She was my mentor in school. Oh, and cool. Yeah, so she would invite me to all the stuff and, like, let me meet all these artists and things, and it was cool. That's a really great uh that's a really great context to perform. Everybody who's going is there for it. I mean, yeah. big time. I can't wait to tell her that we're talking. Yeah, that's really exciting. But you're gonna have a you're gonna have a good time. That's uh, a really well put together thing, and they have such a really good lineup of people every year. And then, yeah, especially for the students, because students get these special passes at, at Portland State and at PNCA. I assume they still do it, but. They get to go and they get like 10 free shows, which is crazy because that stuff's expensive, Yeah, you know, to That's go awesome. and the students go and use it all up. And then they all go to this thing called the works at nighttime. And that's like where the after like party stuff happens. Bagel thing? No. 
<laughs> I don't know why they called it the works. People bagel just, after party. Yeah, everybody goes. All of the performers have a bagel and then get a cramp and then have to perform <laughs> yeah, some more. And all the gluten intolerant people in Portland have a have a celiac attack and kind of faint. No such thing. What? Oh. Gluten intolerance. <laughs> We're going to break this wide open on here. Anything else we want to tick off the list? Um, where are you on vaccines? Uh, I am anti. Anti-vax? Yeah. 9-11. That's when I'll be at TVA. <laughs> Moon landing? Um, That's where limbo happens. I've seen the University of Michigan flag on the moon. Yeah? There is one on the moon. Why? Isn't that terrifying? Why is there a U of M flag on the moon? Because we're the fucking best at football. No, um, I because some astronaut that went there, I don't know. This could actually be a lie. I just feel like I was so willing to believe in Santa for so long and like any magical ish kind of thing, although I don't think colonialism is magical. (laughs) Um, (laughs) but planting a flag on the moon is like, you know, half magical, half terrifying. Yeah. I can't get into the math of it. It's, yeah. It's somewhere around there. It's 50 50 for yeah. me, I think, too. Yeah. <laughs> sort of exciting. It's neat to go to the moon, but at the same time, it's like, could we just fuck off for a minute and yep. stop? Like, yep. Why are we doing that? Seriously. It's on the moon. Um, well, cool, Aaron. Thanks for coming by and spending some time and talking with me. Well, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, I'll get the info from you so that I can share it with everybody so they know where to catch you soon. And I will certainly tell all my friends in Portland and anybody who's listening there, get tickets right now to see what it's Boner Killer. Mm-hmm. See Boner Killer. At the and time. Ghost Rings. I'm in two shows there. And Ghost Rings, which yeah. I don't know what that is. Uh, <laughs> but go see Boner Killer for sure on 9-11 at the Time Based Arts Festival. That sounds like a nice, uh, sounds like a really nice time. Thanks. Thanks. Hey, that was fun, wasn't it? I had a nice time. Hey, if if you've got a couple of minutes, though, why don't you stick around? Uh, We've got a special new feature launching today. Uh, It's a podcast within the podcast. And, uh, you know, this one's a little culinary tale. It is called The Savage Table with Alex Savage. So if you've got a few, keep keep listening. I, I think you'll, uh... I think you'll find it's worth your time. I'm just going to go for it. Uh, I welcome to uh, Savage Table, uh, the, the first the first episode. Um, very pleased to uh, be doing this with with Sean. Uh, so yeah, we can we can get started. Uh, we went to. What was it? It's not Skylab. It's, it's not Sky... Skytown. We went to Skytown. Um, and, uh... Skynet? We went to... We went to Skynet. We grabbed a burger there. We, uh... It was called... It was called the Morning Burger. Uh, just regular... Regular expectation. Uh, looking at the menu. Tomato. Pickle. A uh, little bit of lettuce on that guy as well uh no ketchup on the burger which is fine i got mine with uh with some cheddar cheese a fried egg see okay this is this is the meat and potato meat and potatoes of this food review uh this is the first time believe it or not i have 
had an egg on a hamburger. This is a cheeseburger. Um, so I, I took the plunge, I, and, and this is why it's called the morning burger, uh, because eggs are inherently a, a morning food. Um, you only eat a fried egg past 11 a.m. if your bodily strength just can't do anything else in terms of food prep. So morning burger. Um, I got to give them props for making that very clear. Um, I ordered mine medium because normally I'm a, I'm a medium rare kind of burger guy. But with this egg, I didn't know how much, uh, how much slops we're going to get on. Like, and let me tell you, this burger was already, uh, pretty sloppy. Um, the, the top bun, nice, uh, almost, almost, uh, globular, uh, pretty tough, pretty tough, but the, uh, bottom was more or less a bread paste, um, so I had, I, from the get-go, it was, it was very difficult to, uh, pick up, to handle, and which is, which is very much, uh, you know, the anticipation of any burger, it's like, this is going to be a disgusting mess in my palm, um, fast food burgers not counting because they're always, always very pristine, um, but yeah, went into it, um, thinking about, I'm, I'm reflecting on this burger as maybe like, uh, we ate this burger maybe about three hours ago, so I had a, I had a good, good fair of time to digest this, um, and reflect, so I, and, and the thing was, I didn't, I didn't really get this burger. I, I knew it was, you know, actively like, all right, this is, this is your brunch burger. I get it. I get it. There's an egg on it. Done. Um, and I got fries with it. There's nothing very, uh, I, it didn't feel like I was in the morning. I felt like this was a, still decidedly an afternoon burger with uh, just the egg on it. The egg, uh consistency was, you know, pretty pretty goopy. The yolk was very much there and present. And I had, I had a good time with it. It sort of it sort of ran down um, to that bottom bun pretty, pretty quickly. Um, and so, you know, I had a good time chomping. I, I would go straight I'd go straight for that patty. Um which is which is quality um, is sort of mealy, I'll admit that. Um, there wasn't a whole. It, what, I mean, it's not a steak. You don't put a steak on a on a burger. But uh, yeah, I went into it. Um, oh, the another. I'm gonna have to dock points for this. This is, you know, and and, and I'm gonna ask about this on all of my burgers in the future. The pickles. The pickles were on the bottom. They were on the bottom of this burger, and uh, you know, I, I would I would bite into it, and I felt I felt this weird slow, like drag, like something's not right here, and and it was basically just like my bottom teeth, just like chunking into this pickle and just sliding it around until it uh, you know, fell out. Like uh, maybe three quarters of the way, pretty bothersome. 
So it, uh, instead of just like biting it again, finishing that pickle, I, I just I just tossed it, tossed it on the plate. Um, so this, uh, as you can maybe tell, this was a very difficult uh, a burger. Not, not cohesive. Um, flavor, taste, texture. Um, all, all pretty solid, but that, that goop, it just sort of like, if you only looked at it, if it was peeking above a fence, you'd be like, okay, this, I, I can respect this burger, but if, uh, you know, if it's do, oh, what is his name from Home Improvement? Wilson? Was it Wilson? It's basically Wilson as a burger. You saw that last episode of Home Improvement. It's like, I'm not behind the fence anymore, and I'm pretty disappointing. This is Wilson as a burger. The morning burger from Skynet. Skytown. The morning burger from Skytown. Uh, overall, you know, a satisfying burger, but I felt that there are too many, too many uh, roads to travel on this. I want to straight, I just want to get on that Audubon. I just want to cruise on down, eat a burger. This was a bumpy country road. Um, so I'm going to have to uh, get the morning burger from Skytown uh, on a scale of uh, tech deck to longboard. I'm going to have to give this a, uh, a Razor scooter. This has been Alex Savage with the Savage Table. Thanks for tuning in, and I'll uh, I'll I'll eat with you next time.